Welcome to the 15-Minute Revolution Podcast with Rich Gibbs. This is the podcast that seeks to equip you with the Word of God and inspire you to make a difference with your life. My name is Rich Gibbs, and I'm the director of Cutting Edge Missions, a ministry committed to impacting the world with the gospel with short-term missions. Today's interview is with Adele Kia. Adele serves as a chief development officer for Serve International. Let me tell you something. He is a great storyteller, and I absolutely loved doing this interview. I hope you'll love it too. Now, here's my interview with Adele. Tell me about, you grew up in Kenya. Correct. And I, I would love to know more about that. What was it like growing up in Kenya for you? Man, uh, man I've been in America now 12 years, uh, and... You know, growing up in Kenya, Kenya is very different from what life is here in the United States. The things that we take for granted, running water, um, just just the the fact that, you know, my house has power. My bathroom right now is the size of uh, almost the house that I lived in. And so this is the things that sometimes I look back. I literally walk in it's my, unbelievable. Uh, to take a shower and I'm like always in shock, thanking God. I'm like, wow, this is just such a blessing. Uh, but growing up in Kenya, life was 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 tough. Um, you know, I thought I didn't have a tough life till I took my wife, uh, who's uh, you know born and raised in the United States, uh, and she went. And so where I grew up, she's like, you know, you were poor. And to me, I was a middle class. I thought I was like middle class, you know, blue collar. Uh, but what that meant for me growing up in Kenya is. We all had to be part of the family business, and we didn't have a, uh, uh, you know, we were not, we didn't have a car, we, we didn't sell cars or anything like that. But my family was taught by missionaries how to uh, bake pastries, and so my mom would bake pastries while we're at school. We go to school at five in the morning, and we're out of school at about six p.m. And uh, when we get home, we change our uniform, and my mom gives you the pastries that she's made all day. And you got to hit the neighborhood and start selling pastries. And so I went out with about, you know, 60 pastries. I go door to door, um, and I'm trying to sh- tell people that, hey, these pastries have the, you know, they're <laughs> baked with milk or whatever story I could come up with. And, you know, by 9 p.m., I've probably not sold everything and I come home. And I know this is going to sound horrible for from an American perspective, but you got to understand I'm a third world. This is a third world country. And so I go home with probably four or five left. And my mom used to say this. She's like, she comes in. I give her all the money I've made. And I know every person listening to this is like, this is the worst mom in the world. You have to remember, I had a roof over my head. I had a place to sleep. So my mom is the greatest mom of all time. And I come in. She takes the money and she says, Dilly, you got to go out there and finish selling everything you have. You got to go out there and find a way to sell the five or six uh, pastries that you have. There was no, in our family, in our home, you can come up with an excuse not to get anything done. Like, you know, it, it doesn't matter how bad it is. It's raining. You know, the economy is horrible. You got to go out and finish selling. So the you pastry. had to go out and, re, and, and sell and finish the job. Yeah. So I used to go to a local bar where uh, people were drinking and this is probably at 10, 1030 p.m. And uh, and I go in and, and the women feel bad for me and they tell the guy that they got to buy all the pastries so I can go home. And so that was uh, that was my trick right there. That's how I did it. I had to go to a bar and just kind of sell the last pastries and then hopefully they were drunk enough to buy them and I can go <laughs> home. So I know it's a Christian podcast and I'm not trying to say we should do that, but that was my life. It was a different time, a different, you know, and, and that makes me, uh, I have kids now, I feel that real blessed. That's that's awesome. So let me ask you this question. Um, 
growing up in Kenya, how did you, you came from a predominantly Muslim area. Tell me about your family and tell me the story of how your family came to Christ. Yeah, you know, a lot of people here in Kenya, you think of, of a Christian nation, which it is, right. you know, Kenya is 85.5% Christian. But I come from a, a, a small tribe called the Digo, and the Digo are in an island called Mombasa. And so we grew up, we grew up in a Muslim community, 90% uh, Muslim. And we were able to hear Christ through a YWAM Youth of the Mission mm -hmm. team that came to Kenya, and my dad gave his life to Christ. Now, this is a the, the, the version that is a little bit, it's not going to take all day to share, but that's how we got to hear Christ for the first time through a mission team. And so I'm pretty big on missions. I love missions. And uh, it, it's got me to, you know, um, where I'm at today, I love to share Christ just because somebody did that for my family. Your grandfather was a tribal leader, correct? Correct. He was a chief of Likoni, and also he was part of the leadership of the... Um, uh, the Muslim leadership, the Sheikh, um, and so yes, he was very involved in the in, in the religion and well known in the community. So this was a big deal for his son to become a Christian. How did that turn out? Oh, we were disowned right away, disowned, and we moved to the furthest point of the country, uh, to a place called Lokichogia, right on the border of Kenya and South Sudan. And so I grew up there during the uh, war in Sudan, and uh, it was just a different experience. You had. You, how long did you have to stay there in the north? Uh, I, I went to school there. And so anybody who remembers the 90s, this is when the lost boys of South Sudan, the kids who were running away from uh, being forced into the militia were escaping South Sudan. And they were told to follow the sun and you'll find peace. And I guess the sun led them to the border of Kenya and South Sudan, mm. which um, at that time was a peaceful place. So we got to welcome them, and I went to school with his kids. And there was Kakuma Refugee Camp. That's the name of the refugee camp. So I grew up with kids who had escaped war. Uh, and when we say war, I'm talking about they watched their parents getting killed, uh, raped in front mm. of them. This is this is stuff that you don't want anybody to go through, and they just had escaped that, and uh, were so happy to be alive and get a second chance in life. Yeah, you've lived a, an incredible life up to this point. You're not very old. But man, you've experienced some things that most people in this nation will never experience. And I think about it, and, I, and when I when I think about it, it just, uh, I think for most people, it just seems like another world. Like they, they will never, ever be able to relate whatsoever with that. But I mean, I appreciate the fact that you have gone through all that and then come here, which leads me to the next question. And that is, how did you end up making it here to the U.S.? So crazy story. I used to um, help mission teams. Uh, I used to translate uh, from uh, English to Swahili. So mm -hmm. as a pastor, if you come to our community, most people don't know English. And so I used to go up on stage and help translate for pastors. And the Land of Dream Center came in and they were doing a mission trip and they invited me back. And so that's kind of why I was, I really look back at my time at the Dream Center and, re and feel like they, they taught me everything that I've been doing in ministry uh, for the last 12 years. And so that's kind of my story of how I came here. I did a school of leadership and really the story comes from them going on a mission trip. And so you came here from Kenya to the U.S. to be a part of the Atlanta Dream Center and the school that they had, a school of ministry. And from that point, you decided, man, I love it here. 
I think I want to stay. What happened? So one, it was amazing just seeing tangible ministry. You know, people talk about it, and you kind of mentioned that people talk about it. I see a lot of people put it on paper like this is what we're doing, but it, it's it's rare to find people going out and doing it. And uh, you know, when you say doing it, tell me what it looked like when they were when they were doing the work of the ministry. That seems so shocking to you. I'm talking about going to do a rescue, picking up a girl who has been um, sold into prostitution f- since she was 12 years old, 13 years old, and, and you're picking her up at 25, 26, and all she's known is this tiny hotel room mm-hmm. uh, in downtown Atlanta, you know, and you go there to pick her up. I think there's just something like, you know, we hear stories like this, we see documentaries, but very few times you find people who do it every single day. Uh, you know, people are not doing it because it's a cool thing. You have to remember when the Atlanta Dream Center was doing, um, you know, rescuing women out of human trafficking, this was when even churches did not accept it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm talking about is churches did not want people or prostitutes, let's just call it what it is, didn't want them in the churches. Mm-hmm. There was the fear that they, uh, you know, I've heard everything from, you know, the fear of, you know, what our kids going to think because they don't come dressed like your normal, you know, lady from downtown Atlanta, you know, they have a different dress code. And so there's all these fears from uh, their kids to their husbands to the diseases, like all this made up fear that it was in the church at that time. Mm-hmm. And so for, to find a church that is welcoming everybody, you know, into their center, I think was one of the biggest things for me. I'd never seen that in my life. Well, yeah. And that became a large population of the church or people that you had ministered to on the streets of Atlanta they have an encounter with Christ, and then they come to their church and watch their lives transformed. I mean, that that from coming from Kenya and going to the school of ministry and watching the church in action, actually going out and preaching the message with their deeds and with their uh, actions, that had to be completely shocking and I believe transforming probably to you. Hundred percent. I had never experienced anything like that. Still, till today, uh, you know the the work that Pastor Paul has done in the city of Atlanta. If you walk with that man in downtown Atlanta, man, everybody's still like Pastor Paul. You here's if you're listening to this podcast and you're ever in Atlanta and you just feel like your life is in danger for any reason, just say this: I'm with Pastor Paul, <laughs> and I promise you, you'll be you'll you'll be taken care of. People love this man. He loves. He loves God, and he's able to reflect that with everything he does in the community. So, uh, you know, that I think you should pay for that advice. I gave you guys some big advice right there. <laughs> so you uh, you graduated. What happened from that point when you graduated from the School of Ministry? You could have gone back to Kenya, yes. right? You decided, no, I think I'm going to stay here. I believe that God has work for me to do here. Yes. What was the next step? Well, I want to be a little bit spiritual, but I'm not I'm not going to do that. I'll just tell you the truth. I found the woman of my dreams, okay? Um, I got married to a beautiful lady. Her name is Hannah and uh, you know, uh, we were we were both in missions. She was doing a kids ministry. And so that time I decided to do our missions at the Atlanta Dream Center. And uh, what missions looked like is that we had groups coming in from all around the United States. And my role was to get them involved, to see the ministry, uh, and also have them, inspire them to take it back to their communities. Because 
most times people think of missions, it's a it's a one week experience. But my I, I felt a call in to tell people that missions is a lifestyle. It's right. not a one week experience. Thank you for listening to the 15 Minute Revolution podcast. If you'd like more information about this ministry, be sure to go to our website at 15minuterevolution.com. Love you guys.